It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Dan Grasser Show on 98.7 ESPN. At Dan Grasser is where you can find me on Twitter. Good program so far. Mixed in a little bit of everything. We'll go back to the NFL now and recap what was a little crazy week eight around the league. And we'll start with the Sunday nighter between the Packers and the Buffalo Bills. Bills win that one by 10. You know, when do we sit here and hit the panic button for the Green Bay Packers if you haven't hit it already? As far as I'm concerned, and I understand it's only half the season, I don't see light at the end of the tunnel for the Green Bay Packers this year. I don't. And this was a team that I picked to go to the Super Bowl before the year started. But Aaron Rodgers, suffice to say, is not going to win a third straight MVP. This offense just really cannot get on track. And I think they've almost reached the point of no return here. They've lost four in a row. They're three and five. And like I said, I just don't see any encouraging signs right now that it's going to get any better for them. I mean, they actually ran for over 200 yards, believe it or not, in that win over the Buffalo or the loss to the Buffalo Bills last night. So ironically enough, look at it this way. We talked about the Jets earlier with the running game and, you know, will they be able to get it going? This is going to be the second game in a row coming up this week for the Jets that they're going to face a defense fresh off of allowing a team to go for over 200 yards on the ground because the Bears ran all over the Patriots last Monday night, and now the Bills are going to be coming to, uh, to town next Sunday where Green Bay did some damage to them on the ground. But as I said a little bit earlier in the show, you know, Buffalo, the game never felt like it was in any doubt last night. And Josh Allen didn't even play his best game. You know, he wasn't exactly crisp. He got a couple of passes. I mean, Josh Allen only had like 50% completion percentage last night. That is far from what we're used to seeing from him, but you knew that the Bills were in no danger of losing that game. And I just think they're so strong from top to bottom. You know, they really and truly are, I think, the best team in the NFL. So you know that the Jets are going to have to be at their absolute best if they're going to pull an upset coming up on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. And, you know, as far as the Green Bay Packers are concerned, I don't know if this thing is turning around this year. You know, Minnesota's gotten off to a nice start in that division. They're off to a 6-1 and one start. I mean, this is, for all intents and purposes, their division to lose. And, I mean, imagine the disaster it's going to be for the Packers. They go into Detroit coming up this week, and the Lions are a total mess. We'll talk about them coming up a little later, but imagine if Green Bay can't beat the Lions. Wow. Wow. But I'm still not convinced that's going to happen. Maybe that'll be Green Bay's get-right game, at least for a week to try to snap this slide. Other team that might make a strong push right now to be considered the best in the league, how about the Philadelphia Eagles? After all, they are the only unbeaten. They walloped the Pittsburgh Steelers yesterday in the battle for Pennsylvania. I'll tell you, Jalen Hurts, you know, you talk about MVPs and whatnot, that's another guy. You know, throw his name into the mix, certainly, uh, in the MVP conversation. He looks super confident in the pocket, super confident. I mean, he only had to take off and run with the ball two times yesterday. But sitting back there, scanning the field, trusting his playmakers through for four touchdown passes, and they were big plays too. Big plays in that game. And A.J. Brown had himself a huge day. And remember, he's Elijah Moore's like best buddy. 
is A.J. Brown. Both went to Ole Miss. You know, they're very, very tight off the field, those two. So, you know, while A.J. Brown is thriving in his new home in Philadelphia and he's making plays and they're undefeated, that might also kind of play into Elijah Moore's frustration a little bit right now as to the fact that he's not getting the ball and he's not, you know, being as involved in this Jet offense like he wasn't yesterday because things are working out well for his buddy down there with the Philadelphia Eagles. But Pittsburgh, meantime, look, this is another one of those years for them. They're not used to having them. But it's a transition year. See, what's happening with the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, when you compare it to the Giants, this is the kind of year that a lot of people thought maybe the Giants were going to have under Brian Dayball in his first season because Pittsburgh changing the guard for them in terms of the personnel, not because of coaches or anything, but you're breaking in a new quarterback in Kenny Pickett. He was sacked, I think it was six times yesterday. You have to endure one of these seasons. And what's at stake, remember, Mike Tomlin, he's never had a losing season in his entire career as a head coach in the NFL. But right now at 2-6, and six, I don't know if there's a way that the Steelers are going to be able to crawl out from this one. This could be uh, the first for Mike Tomlin. But, you know, you hope if you're an organization that these reps and the experience that Kenny Pickett is getting is going to be invaluable for him down the road and that once you get back next year, he's ready to hit the ground running and Pittsburgh could go back to competing in the AFC North like we're so accustomed to them, um, you know, year in and year out pretty much. Another thing with Philadelphia – they put up 35 points, score all those touchdowns. You realize they only ran one play in the red zone the entire game. One play. So like I said, big plays were made. They were big plays for this Philadelphia Eagles football team in rolling over the Pittsburgh Steelers. How about the Cowboys? They put up 49 yesterday and beating up the Chicago Bears 49-29. Uh, Jerry Jones was trying to put a kibosh on it at the end of the day in the locker room but guess what you might have yourself a little bit of a quarterback controversy or not quarterback excuse me running back controversy when you're talking to the Dallas Cowboys because you got Zeke who was injured making all that money on the contract meantime Tony Pollard was the star of the show yesterday guys playing really really good football for them running really hard for him three touchdowns for him Dak I thought was a lot better yesterday too that was only his second game back from missing all that time with the thumb injury so that was important to see there hey Cowboys are a good football team you know they've won six out of seven but they might not be as good as the Philadelphia Eagles and as a matter of fact I don't think they're as good as the Philadelphia Eagles but this NFC East it's almost like takes you back to yesteryear all of a sudden right you got Philly undefeated Dallas and the Giants are 6-2. and two. Washington, some way, somehow, have won three games in a row to where they're at least now looking like a competent, dare I say, football team. NFC East is the best division in the NFL, right? And the thing about Chicago is you're looking for signs as to, like, okay, are they beginning to turn the corner? Like, what did they do for an encore after that impressive performance in Foxborough last week? Well, they ran the ball for almost 250 yards again, which is good, but... The bad was the defense. They just can't stop anybody. And when you think about Chicago Bears football and historically with the franchise, their identity is defense, right? Monsters of the midway. That's what the Chicago Bears are, but their defense is terrible. They traded Raquan Smith, one of their good young linebackers there, who leads the league in tackles, believe it or not. They traded him to the Ravens today, so you figure that they're going to miss him and what he provides. Remember, they picked Matt Eberflus to be the head coach. He's a defensive coordinator by trade, so they have a guy in charge who they think can maybe help turn around that defense, but to me it's all about what are you doing with Justin Fields, what are you doing to surround him, 
to ensure that he's going to continue to produce and to get better because he's your franchise quarterback. And that ultimately, I think, is going to take you further than anything with your defense. How about that play with Fields yesterday? Did you see in that game? And I don't know if it's a just a byproduct of where we are right now with the NFL, but Bears had a turnover, fumbled the football. Micah Parsons recovers the fumble. He's on the ground. Justin Fields is running towards him instead of just touching him like just putting his finger on his back, which would have made him down by contact, play would have been over. He actually leaped over Micah Parsons. Like, I don't know if this was like the high hurdles, like a track and field event, or maybe he got confused, but he leaped over Micah Parsons. So he wouldn't make any contact with him. Instead, Micah Parsons gets up. Since he wasn't touched, he runs the ball back into the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, I don't know what was going through his head at that moment. I don't know how many of you watched that London game. Yesterday morning, it was an ESPN Plus exclusive. We were on the air at the stadium doing the pregame show, so they had it on in the uh, coaches' club. But somebody had to win the game, and it was the Denver Broncos, four points better than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars now 0-6 this year in one-score football games. Kwan Williams with the game-sealing interception. He's playing with one arm. He has a cast on one of it, so that's a bad decision there by Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence also got picked off at the one-yard line in that game yesterday, too. Not making good decisions after what I thought was, you know, a, a really positive and productive first couple of games of the season for Trevor. But Denver's defense kept him in it. You still, of course, have plenty of questions about the head coach, who I don't think is in it for the long haul, and the quarterback. I don't know how many leg lifts that uh, Russell Wilson did on the plane ride all the way back from London, but maybe those uh, leg exercises helped the Broncos beat the Jaguars yesterday. I guess we'll never know the truth. Give credit to the Miami Dolphins. You know, they look like they were down for the count yesterday in Detroit. They erased a pair of 14-point deficits, came back to outscore the Lions 31-27. to You had Tua playing really good football, 382 yards, three touchdown passes. Two is five and one as a starting quarterback. I don't know if he's, you still need some more convincing as to whether or not he's the guy and whether or not he is indeed a franchise quarterback and all those things, but, you know, two is doing a good job. And the Dolphins are winning when he's under center. And the Lions, you ate the pile on here, but shut out in the second half. They only had 67 yards of offense in the third and the fourth quarter. Defense could not get off the field. Miami was like 8 of 12 on third down yesterday. How about this? The last three weeks, the Lions have been outscored 48 to nothing after halftime. A lot of people were drinking the Lions Kool-Aid late in the summertime. I don't know if they just got giddy off of um, hard knocks and watching Dan Campbell and watching the players, but the Lions are the same old Lions. They're awful. Uh, you can't take them seriously just yet. They actually fired their DB's coach today because, as I said, the defense can't get off the field. you got to blame somebody. So he was uh, made to be the one to walk the plank earlier today. The Saints blanked the Raiders. You talk about another team that is a major disappointment and can't figure things out. How about the Raiders? They did not cross midfield yesterday, okay, until there was about three minutes left in the football game. Think about that. In the NFL in 2022, a team that has Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, who some people, of course, wanted to make as if, you know, this was Jerry Rice going to join the Raiders. They did not cross midfield offensively until late in the fourth quarter for the first time. And by the way, Josh McDaniels, doesn't exactly look like the genius now, does he, when Tom Brady is his quarterback up in New England. He's got Bill Belichick as the head coach, and now it's his program, and the guy and his football team are a disaster right now, 
out in Vegas with this Raider football team. Saints, and, and by the way, Devontae Adams yesterday, one catch for three yards. So everybody thought that this was going to be like the second coming of Montana and Rice, that he and Derek Carr are hooking up again out there in Vegas. One catch for three yards. Alvin Kamara had a big day, had to, because the Saints had all those wide receivers injured. And look, Saints have not fired on all cylinders like I thought they would. They're only three and five. But because the NFC South is so bad, they're still alive in this race. Because believe it or not, the Atlanta Falcons, by hook or by crook, are the team right now that's in first place at 4-4 four and four in that division. Speaking of the Falcons, we'll talk about the wild, probably the wildest finish you had in the league yesterday and what happened with them with the Carolina Panthers. We'll do that coming up next. Dan Gross' show as we continue to go around the NFL on 98.7 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Recap in week eight of the NFL. Mentioned the craziest finish yesterday in Atlanta between the Panthers and the Falcons. Falcons win this one in overtime by a field goal. And if you didn't see it, DJ Moore, wide out from Maryland on the uh, Carolina Panthers, catches the game-tying touchdown pass from P.J. Walker. Great throw, great catch. With 12 seconds left in the game. But takes his helmet off to celebrate. You know, because when you score a touchdown and you got those fans who are right there in the end zone, of course, your natural instinct is you want to go barking at them and, you know, take your helmet off so they can exactly see who you are. But what he failed to remember is that that's a penalty in the NFL and that's a no-no. So you can sit here and say it's a stupid rule, it's a bad rule, whatever, but the bottom line is it's a rule and it's one that they didn't make up yesterday. It's actually been in place for well over a decade. So, unfortunately for DJ and for the Panthers, it ended up costing his team because he got penalized 15 yards, which backed up our pal Eddie Pinheiro's PAT try to 47 yards, which is, you know, kind of like a dicey field goal attempt, if you will. Pinheiro, of course, misses the PAT. If he would have made it, Panthers would have been up by one and in all probability won that game with only 12 seconds left on the clock. He misses. Game goes to overtime. Then in OT... Pinheiro misses a 32-yard field goal, which would have won the game. Instead, Atlanta then gets an opportunity. Their kicker makes the field goal, and the Falcons somehow, someway, are at 4-4, four and, four, and they're in first place in this NFC South division. 
Arthur Smith's done a good job with this team. They're a club that's essentially rebuilding right now and in a little bit of a transition. But the fact that Tampa's having a down year, the Saints are having a down year, and look, Atlanta's only got a one-game lead in the division. I don't think this is sustainable. I'd, I'd be shocked if we're sitting here talking about the Falcons as the division champs hosting a playoff game come January. But in the meantime, you know, they're at least making things interesting for themselves and their fans. I just don't think they're going to be in this thing throughout the season. Minnesota's another team that's opening eyes. As far as I'm concerned, they're off to a 6-1 and one start under their first-year coach, Kevin O'Connell. 34-26 over the Arizona Cardinals. Darius Smith had a big day yesterday with three sacks of Kyler Murray. Special teams made a big play. They recovered a muff punt by our old pal Greg Dortch who had a cup of coffee in camp with the Jets one year. That led to the deciding touchdown for Minnesota. DeAndre Hopkins had a huge game for the Cardinals, but Kyler had a couple of bad INTs. Defense can't make any big plays whatsoever to save their life. You realize Minnesota, five trips into the red zone, five touchdowns for the Vikings. That'll go a long way towards ensuring you a victory. And by comparison, you think about what the Jets were able to do to, to New England yesterday, right? Keeping the Patriots to five field goals for the better part of that game. That even That's what allowed them to even still have a pulse in that football game in the third and the fourth quarter there. And, you know, Minnesota, they've earned the right right now to where if we're sitting here debating and discussing, hey, who's the next best team in the NFC behind the Philadelphia Eagles? You know, maybe the answer is the Minnesota Vikings. I don't think it's 100% definitive, but they're certainly one of those couple of teams. I say Minnesota. I think you got to say Dallas right now. I think those are the, really the only acceptable answers. Maybe in another week or two we could say San Francisco. But the Vikings have done well, and let's see if they can finish this thing off. Again, that division, Packers having a disappointing year. Bears and Lions you don't take seriously anyway. But the Vikings are taking advantage of Green Bay's uh, suspect play thus far. Remember, they beat them in week number one in their building, and uh, – they're 3-0 in their division. It's all you can ask for right now with this Minnesota team, winners of five straight games. How about Washington? Huh? Remember how much they, how much of a mess they were in a few weeks ago? Now they've won three in a row. They've evened up things at 4-4. Four and four. Taylor Heineke, say what you want about him. They're always looking to replace him, right? A couple of years ago, remember that playoff game in the COVID year on that Saturday night goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Tom Brady and the eventual champion Buccaneers, you know, kept them in the football game a little bit. I know that he's not a perfect quarterback, but makes clutch plays. You know, that big throw to Terry McLaurin there over Gilmore at the one-yard line to set up the winning touchdown. You know, he's got moxie. He's feisty a little bit. They went out and they gave up all that to bring in Carson Wentz and all that dead cap money. But, hey, you know what? Washington, they're finding ways to win under this kid and at least kind of takes some of the distraction from all the off-the-field stuff that's been going on with that franchise and involving Dan Snyder and so on and so forth there. But uh, things weren't much better for the Colts offensively. Remember, they made the switch to Sam Ellinger from Matt Ryan. Really didn't serve much of a purpose, if you ask me. They turned the ball over twice deep in Washington territory, lost the fumble. Colts aren't good enough to overcome those mistakes, and they couldn't even beat Washington at home yesterday. That Colts team is going nowhere fast this season. San Francisco, we mentioned them. I thought that that was as impressive a showing maybe as you had around the entire National Football League on Sunday. I really and truly believe it. Christian McCaffrey showed you when healthy and when used right that he is still a very, very important weapon or can be a very important weapon for any team's offense. Had a passing touchdown yesterday, a catching touchdown, and then ran for one as well. Jimmy G was efficient 
21-25. You take that any day of the week. Throw in Ayuk in the receiving game. You know, Niners, if they can do what we're used to seeing them on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they're now piecing this thing together on offense to where they could catch you napping and they can make it a long day at the office for you. They've won seven out of eight over the Rams. They own that team. Shanahan owns McVay, except for the NFC Championship game last year. And the bottom line about the Rams, here's all you need to know about them. They're not going to repeat as champions. I know it's not exactly going out on a limb, but I think it's true. There is no way this team is winning another Super Bowl. And McVay was kicking himself afterwards, as he should. Somebody's got to explain to me what in the hell he was thinking yesterday. By having Cooper Cup, you know, one of the most valuable weapons in the NFL and only the Super Bowl MVP, why Cooper Cup was in that game yesterday with about a minute and 10 seconds left, the game was well over with, and he's still in that game, and he gets rolled up on yesterday and avoided, at least initially, a very, very serious injury, but it looks like that thing could have been devastating for the Rams and that offense for the rest of the year. You can't have somebody that valuable in the game when it's pretty much uh, all over but the shouting. Maybe they'll learn from that mistake moving forward. Rams and that almighty offense just 61 yards in the second half. And lastly, Malik Willis, a winner in his first ever start as a quarterback in the NFL. Really didn't do much. He only threw 10 passes for 55 yards. But when you have a guy like Derrick Henry, who's going to really just control the game on the ground to the level that he did, you know, over 200 yards rushing, a couple of touchdowns. That's all the Tennessee needed to beat Houston. I think the Texans have the inside track for the first pick in the draft, if you ask me. They'll lose again this week on Thursday Night Football when they got Philadelphia going in there. Uh, and Philadelphia is going to continue their unbeaten season. Do you realize Houston in that game yesterday engineered 60 yards less offense total than what Derrick Henry had himself? Texans are a mess. You know, Lovey Smith, good luck to him. I don't know how much longer he wants to be coaching football, but the bottom line is that is not the answer. That is not the answer right now, and they got a whole lot of work to do. And if I'm the Houston Texans, you know what? Davis Mills, whatever you think of him personally, he ain't the answer. They got a lot of things that they have to straighten out uh, before you can even think about that program starting to turn things around down there in Houston and in the AFC South. So that is the Around the League little Week 8 action in the NFL. The Monday Nighter right now is a little bit of a snooze fest. The Browns have an 8-0 lead over the Cincinnati Bengals. They score a touchdown. They went for a two-point conversion inside of two minutes left in half number one. Bengals just can't get anything going offensively. You know, Burrow's having a hard time. Uh, boy, do they miss Jamar Chase initially. But the Bengals have enough weapons outside of Chase even. You know, you got T. Higgins. You got Tyler Boyd. You know, mix it. They should still be able to operate with a little bit more than they've done thus far. But, you know, they just can't get anything going. We'll see if uh, they can maybe turn things around here in the second half. 800-919-3776. We come back. Some Jet Giant talk. And we'll also... Update you on where things stand right now with the baseball, including a rule that is pretty hot and cold among the fans, but might not be going anywhere as soon as we thought it would. Dan Gross until 10 right here on 9870 ESPN. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. So no World Series tonight. Game got rained out in Philadelphia. Where have we heard that before? It seems like the rain is the the MVP of uh, the month of October in the postseason. Unbelievable. But they're still going to keep the travel day incorporated into the schedule if it has to go back to Houston. Now, the only way it doesn't go back to Houston for game six is if one of these two teams wins all three games in Philadelphia. So they're going to play games three, four, five, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday would be the travel day. And then game six and seven, if need be, would be Saturday and Sunday. Sunday, of course, you're going up against the NFL. That's what they want to avoid. But the Sunday night game, even look, if there's a game seven of the World Series, the NFL is still going to destroy it in the ratings. We know that. But it's not like as good of a Sunday night game as maybe we're used to seeing. It's Tennessee against the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's, like I said, I, it's the NFL. It's football. People are going to be into it. I just think that if you're baseball, you don't want to have to necessarily get shattered in a winner-take-all decided game on the biggest stage. You're almost kind of secretly hoping maybe that one of these teams wins this in six or less. So you could kind of have, you know, your own moment in the spotlight. People talk. And how about Thursday? So wait a sec. Tuesday, potentially, potentially, Thursday night, you can have a clinching situation in the World Series going up against the Thursday night football game. Now, the Thursday night game stinks. It's Philadelphia against Houston. How about that? What happens if you're a a Philadelphia sports fan? And you have the Eagles playing on Thursday night, undefeated, against the Houston Texans, which, look, you're going to win anyways. There's really not even that much debate or suspense going into that game. Versus, you got the Phillies playing the Astros in the World Series. You could either have a 2-2 series, you could have a 3-1 series. I still think you have to have your allegiance. Like, if you, you know, if you, let's say you can only pick one if you're a fan, I would think you have to be watching the baseball, right? I mean, because it's, it's, it's the World Series. But who's only going to be restricted to watching just one thing nowadays in 2022, right? I mean, you have options. You have all of these different things at your disposal. You shouldn't have to be restricted to just pick one anymore. It's not 1920 when you're talking about your viewing pleasures and consuming all of this uh, information that we have out there. The other thing about the, the baseball is Rob Manford said that in an interview that the ghost runner rule, the runner on second base and extra innings, that that is something that is probably going to stay. And remember, initially it was supposed to be this year was going to be it as far as the regular season. But according to speaking with people around the league, he thinks that it's been received well, that players, coaches, managers, fans, everybody generally has this thing, or it's well received by a lot of the people around baseball, and they're going to keep it in there for the regular season. I hated it initially. Absolutely hated it. Could not stand it. When talking about the the runner on second base, I got to be honest with you, 
I've actually come to enjoy it maybe a little bit more. Not for the postseason. Postseason, I'm glad. There shouldn't be any sort of gimmicks or anything like that. Like you had with that Seattle-Houston game in the first round, went to 18 innings. If it takes that long, so be it. But for the regular season, I kind of enjoy the fact that these games don't go all night long and all day long. And that generally they are done no later than, let's say, you know, the 12th or even at the very, very latest. You know, maybe it goes 13 or 14 innings. So if you're going to keep this thing still in the regular, I, I'd like it. I, I, I really and truly do. And I'm, I like to consider myself somebody who's a little bit more of a, you know, traditionalist when it comes to the baseball and the old school mentality and that type of stuff. But, I, I, you know, and, and, and a lot of these, like, gimmicky type of rules that they've incorporated over the last couple of years, I'm not a fan of. But the runner on second one, I, I, I really have no issues with it. I think even next year when the pitch clock comes along too, I'm all right with that. Speed up the game a little bit longer. I mean, that's if you've watched the World Series, and look, I understand, talking to a lot of people, friends of mine, even colleagues, you name it, in our city, a lot of people aren't watching the World Series. I get it. You don't have a dog in the fight. It's baseball. You know, if you're a Met fan, you hate the Phillies. If you're a Yankee fan, you hate the Astros. Like, why do I want to watch either one of these teams win a championship? I get all that stuff. But I've you know, noticed especially, and, and the first game went into you know extra innings, but it only went 10 innings. It didn't go like 20. But that was still like a four-and-a-half-hour game. And even just to get through nine innings, you were talking about four hours. That's too long. Not you know, you good. Want people, it's not good. You, don't want to, you, know, you, you want people to be engaged. You want people to stay with these games. And it's a Friday night, which is always a tough TV night. You know, for game number one, it was a pretty good game. You know, 5 nothing lead, Philly comes all the way back, they force extra innings, so, you know, it was entertaining to a certain extent. It had some twists and turns that we weren't expecting to see. But you can't have a World Series game go four hours, four and a half hours. You're not doing anybody any favors. And it ends after midnight, even on a weekend. You know, you're not going to get a good number. Friday's a horrible TV night. Saturday's a horrible TV night. So a pitch clock next year, if it'll speed even regular season games up, I think that's good for the game. It's good to generate some interest because, after all, that's what, you know, that's what they kind of need here. You know, baseball's hurting in that extent. Football's the superpower. It's the king. The NBA, more popular with the youth than baseball is. It's just a fact. 800-919-3776, that's the telephone number. Let's go to the phones. Dave's in Comac up next here on 98.7. David, how are you? How are you? What's up, Dave? I've been following the Islanders. I see they beat the Avalanche the other night. And uh, but I think it was a mistake that they uh, that they resigned uh, Barzell because the guy takes stupid penalties, and uh, you, you know you're, they could have gotten a whole bunch of other players for him if they would have traded him. They'd be a more balanced team. Well, when you say a whole bunch of different players, are you talking about I'm young talking players? About scorers. They about... could have gotten a bunch of younger scorers. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe two or three guys. You know, in a trade for him, maybe they would be draft picks, hypothetically, right? And uh, then they have a more balanced team like the Rangers. The Rangers have three decent scorers. They have good goaltending. <clears throat> and uh, I think the Islanders would have been better off long-term if they would have done that. Now you got let me, let me, Dave, let me ask you a question. If you would have gotten rid of Matthew Barzell, then who are your primary goal scorers? And who are the guys that are going to be – not even goal scorers. Who are going to be your top offensive players that you rely on? Because – to me, he's your most dangerous offensive weapon. But he takes stupid penalties. And he still takes stupid penalties that cost his team the game sometimes. 
He's only taken three penalties this year. Yeah, but still penalties that they didn't need to take. That well, I they... mean, but, but again, Dave, if that's what we're worrying about with Matthew Barzell, and thank you for the phone call, I can't believe we're getting an Islander hockey call tonight. You know, why not? It's all up for discussion. To me, that's nitpicking, you know? I mean, if you're going to say you take stupid penalties, okay, fine, take Matthew Barzell out of the game. You're not going to have your quote-unquote stupid penalties. How are you going to manufacture goals? How are you going to score? You know, if you haven't been paying attention for the last, how many years am I dating myself, 30, 35 years since Lou Lamorello became a hockey executive with the New Jersey Devils, if you followed all of Lou's teams with the Devils, which, by the way, resulted in three champions, three championships, and then to how he's built this Islander team, I mean, you could throw the Toronto situation in there too, but that was a little bit different. To me, the Toronto-Lou experience was like a shotgun wedding type deal. But now what he's trying to mold with the New York Islanders, there is an image, there is a way that Lou Lamorello is going to go about constructing his team. It's about being strong defensively, having dependable goaltending, and really over the years you're not talking about a team that's going to feature primary snipers, goal scorers, you know, top flight offensive players. That's not really how Lou is. A lot of people were critical of Lou over the summertime that he wasn't more active in free agency. Remember, that was like the running joke. When are, when are the Islanders actually going to sign somebody? When are they going to get somebody in here? But they didn't. But to say that it was a mistake to re-sign Matthew Barnes, I come on. Got a homegrown guy. He's popular with the fans. He's extremely good at what he does. I think I, I, that was a no-brainer. Gotta. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We're taking it right up until the top of the hour. Then it's Larry and Gordon. It's Dan Gross' show right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Fun overreaction Monday program for you. You know, I was thinking about it, this being Halloween and all. Today's the one-year anniversary of the famous Mike White game for all you Jet fans. And, you know, watching Cincinnati right now put together a snooze fest on Monday Night Football. The Browns lead them 11 to nothing at halftime. So, a year ago today, you had Mike White get the start. For an injured Zach Wilson at MetLife Stadium, and nobody knew what to expect. And as a matter of fact, probably a lot of people expected the worst. Mike White. Really? Mike White starting? Who? Because, like, what, what was that? He's, I, I can't believe he's, he's having a start. Who's Mike White? He's starting a game. And remember, Cincinnati at the time was not even a team that we thought was even legit and for real. I think Cincinnati was like 5-2 and two or something going in. Ironically enough, they had the same record the Jets did yesterday going into their game. But we didn't know that Cincinnati was going to make a run and go to the Super Bowl. But Mike White, out of nowhere, plays the game of his life. 400 yards, three touchdowns, caught a two-point conversion. And it was like the legend of Mike White. And he, you know, for a few days, kind of like owned this city. Own these airwaves. That's all anybody wanted to talk about. Mike White, Mike White, Mike White. To the point where, remember, Robert Sala, one of those press conferences, he actually almost kind of like backed himself into a corner a little bit and kind of kept the door slightly ajar as to, you know, the questions were coming fast and furious. And remember, well, is what happens if Mike... It, it, it was so ridiculous off of that one game 
that the questions already were starting like, well, if Mike White continues to play this well, is Zach Wilson going to get his job back? And like Salah didn't say definitively yes or no, like one way or the other, which was crazy. I think like everybody was caught up in like the Mike White fever. And then we know what happened a few days later. They played that Thursday night game in Indianapolis. And, um, you know, he had a promising start, had a good drive there in the first quarter, and then he got injured. And that was kind of really it for Mike White. He did end up getting one more start against the Buffalo Bills and didn't go well at all. And we really haven't seen him since. But then yesterday, you know, we're all sitting there before the game doing the pregame show in the coaches club. And then the inactives come out. And then you see that Joe Flacco is inactive. Like, huh? What? And remember, Chris Strebler was elevated to the active roster the day before. And then Chris Trevler was inactive for the game. And, and you know, Greg and I and every, we're sitting there trying to figure it out. Well, well why? why? Why are they doing all this musical chairs with the quarterback? Well, whatever their reason was, Mike White was the two, right? And, and he was going to be the backup quarterback moving forward. And, okay. And then Robert Saleh even doubled down on that today and said that, you know, in the event something happens to Zach Wilson, knock on wood, that they want Mike White to be the guy. They want to see what he can do. They want to see what they have in him, which, you know, they're entitled to do. But it's ironic that this is almost like, you know, one year since Mike White became a household name. And even that one thing about that one performance by Mike White that day against Cincinnati essentially bought him in some way, shape, or form, you know, an extra, what, five years probably in the NFL? in some capacity, on some team's roster, not just as a starting quarterback or just just to be on somebody's roster, whether it's the one, the two, the three, because the league knows that you have that type of ability in you. It's no different than like the Matt Flynn, that one game and one start that he made for the Green Bay Packers in the final week of the season. Remember, he put together that unbelievable performance, and I think it was what the Seattle Seahawks went out there and gave him a huge contract. And then he ironically ended up losing his job in, <laughs> in training camp to some mid-round draft choice rookie, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson beat him out. But Matt Flynn got paid, and Matt Flynn bounced around to a couple of other teams and you know hung around the league, all because he had that one great performance in the final week of the season, getting the start for Aaron Rodgers, and... You know, it's good for Mike White that he at least has that one game that he can always kind of fall back on. But, you know, we don't know how things are going to transpire over the next several weeks. I mean, Mike White might find himself on the field again in some time or another for the New York Jets. Because if something should go wrong with this quarterback, Mike White's going to be the next man up. And, you know, like just trying to make sense of the whole thing, I, I don't know if it's the worst idea in the world. Only because, like, Joe Flacco, you know what you have. You know what he is. And Joe Flacco played okay the first three weeks of the season. That might be the only thing that's a little bit of a head-scratcher in that it's week, what are we in now, week eight, week nine, whatever. Now it's still technically week eight. But we're at week eight, and now we're going to make the decision to make Mike White the next in line. But earlier in the season, when he needed somebody to start games, it was Joe Flacco. It wasn't Mike White. So I wonder what thought along the way or what changed along the way because what has kind of evolved over those eight weeks is that the Jets have proved that they've got a decent roster. And it's a roster good enough to compete for a playoff spot. But they just need to have 
quality quarterback play. And I guess that the organization feels that despite the fact that they're talented and they might be able to win their share of games, they think that Mike White gives them a better opportunity than, let's say, somebody like a Joe Flacco. It's just funny how now we're sitting here and all of a sudden, like, the Mike White is becoming a subject again. Because his name even was brought up yesterday during the game. You know, when Zach went out there and he struggled and he was making those questionable decisions with the interceptions, like we were, we were sitting there saying, boy, is it time to go to the bullpen and, and, and time to maybe bring in a guy like Mike White? It's crazy. Crazy how it all breaks out, but we shall see. Jets, though, you know, look, they got to make the corrections. They know that they have a tough one coming up this week against those Buffalo Bills. It is not going to be easy. Nobody's going to expect them to win. And if you go into the bye week, even let's say they don't beat Buffalo and they're five and four going into the bye week, it's not terrible. It's probably still a lot better than people thought. I mean, there were, you know, so-called experts who thought the Jets could have gone 0-9 before the bye week with the way the schedule was laid out, that they were going to be winless going into the bye. Well, they were a little bit off on that one. And they still got some work to do, but they've guaranteed themselves meaningful football games probably into the final month of the season. And I think that as a fan, that's all you can ask for. Giants, we talked about them earlier, of course. You know, things didn't go your way yesterday for the first time. But you kick your feet up, sit back and relax and enjoy the bye week. Get healthy and enjoy where you are right now at 6-2. and two. This is a gravy year for the Giants. It's a bonus year, free of charge. It's like you're stockpiling points. That's all you're doing with the New York football Giants. You weren't supposed to win this year. First-year coach, first-year GM, roster not all that talented, trying to lay the foundation and the groundwork for a program, a culture. And, oh, by the way, you won six of your first eight games. Really? Incredible. And now the schedule is still... In your favor, when you come back from the bye week, Houston, Detroit, all right, that's eight right there. You still got two games with Washington at the very least. Let's just say very least. You split. That's nine. You got Indianapolis and Sam Ellinger in all probability coming into the building on New Year's Day. Very winnable game. Giants are going to win 10 games unless the wheels completely fall off. The Giants are going to win 10 games. And if you win 10, you're going to be in the conversation. You're going to be talking about playing meaningful football games and possibly stealing a playoff spot. And not too many people would have thought that was possible with this football team at the beginning of the year. So I can't remember a time if you're a Giant fan, when you probably ever experienced a bye week this enjoyable. Because that's how great it is. Really and truly. And you know what? Even just collectively for both football teams. I don't have to remind you. Think about the last time things were this good for the two teams at the same time. And we're going to be sitting here, you know, during the holidays, potentially, talking about both of them with big, meaningful games to play and trying to maybe lock up playoff spots. Greatest thing in the world, right? Greatest thing in the world. And then we can also worry about the baseball hot stove. Judge staying or going, DeGrom staying or going, what are the Knicks up to, and 
all those type of things there. All right, that's going to do it for us. Fun Overreaction Monday show. Love these shows. Want to thank my buddies Joe Leo and Julian Kushnick for producing the program. Everybody that called, that listened, that tweeted. We'll talk to you again soon, but have no fear. Gordon and Larry are coming up next. They'll take you the rest of the night. Dan Grass is saying so long on 98.7 ESPN.